Well, we have been on a journey this summer in the Psalms, and we've been um, in this series called A Heart of Worship. And as we attempt to grasp God in our finitude, we realize that we're in some, uh, for some deep waters, and God stretches our senses, and, and he really challenges our mindsets. And as the closer as we try to grasp onto God, we realize especially that the idea of the black and white or either or mindset is challenged. There's just a little bit more to things. And the first time I was in Iraq, this really challenged me. As I, as I went to Iraq the first time in 2005, the idea of, of fighting in a nation and, and yet provide them freedom, yet also seeing um, the fact that although there was freedom, that freedom was not necessarily embraced or it opened the door for other things. And so the idea of black and white, either or, kind of disappeared. And this isn't a political statement. It just is the fact that the closer you get to something like that, just war, it gets more complicated. Things get complicated. And, and we see God, he transcends time, space, and matter. And the more we get closer to God and life in the cross, we see that things are a little more complex than we could think, than we could possibly imagine. When we examine the cross and life in the cross, we soon see that the both and of God emerges. And as Christians, we stand in this complex intersection of the cross where the tension of suffering and victory calls to demonstrate total trust in God, praising him as we await the victory and the fulfillment of his kingdom promises. And all of us find ourselves in this tension. We live in this already but not yet time. God's kingdom is here already, but it has not yet been consummated. And that tension exists and it manifests itself in our everyday lives. And we have a choice in how we respond to these things. And the title of today's message is The Complex Intersection of the Cross. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 is a psalm of lament. And it's a complex psalm of lament. Because you see the psalmist David lamenting about a situation. David, we believe this is David lamenting about, um, as he's fleeing from Saul or perhaps fleeing from Absalom, his son. And you see that David is lamenting to God, yet he talks himself out of that lament, and then at the end, the lament turns to praise. So in and of itself, it's a very complex psalm. And we see that David's life, as we read the psalm, intersects our life, because he's experiencing things that we experience every day. Yet there are things that David speaks about that he can possibly not know, and he never experienced and when we read the Bible backwards and we look at this through a New Testament lens, we realize David is speaking of Christ. So in some way, some complex, mysterious way, we see that David's life, our life, and Christ's life is intersected. And we feel that, and there's tension there. And today what I want to do is I want to look at four aspects of this complex intersection of life and the cross. And look how we are to respond with worship. So let me ask God to bless our time. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this time that we get to examine your word. 
We entreat you by the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Be with us, Lord. May you be glorified. May you work in our hearts. May we get a bigger glimpse of who you are in our lament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we see is a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection in the agony of the cross. When I was in Iraq the first time, I, I was on a mission on the Syrian border, and it was 120 degrees. It was summer, and we were on this mission, and we were supported. My little reconnaissance platoon was supported by the, the power of the entire U.S. military, yet we ran out of water. There was a time we ran out of water, and they couldn't get water to us. And we would try to call them in our radio, but there was radio silence. And it felt like we have all of this power that we could call upon, but for some reason we can't even get water, and they're not listening to us. And the complex intersection includes being a beloved child of God, having the entire God just loving us and, and the, the, the God's power upon us but yet at times feeling the agony of abandonment and alienation or silence, which is even the worst at times. We read in uh, the, the first verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out day by, by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And some of us, Feel like this. We feel forsaken because life isn't going the way that we think that it should go or that it should go. And we feel it. Our family's not going right. Our marriages aren't going right. Our kids aren't doing the things that we think they should do. Or we don't know what to do. And we cry out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking us? And the worst is we don't hear anything from God. I mean, how do you feel when you gather all the gumption and, and intestinal fortitude to pour out your heart to someone and they don't answer you? How do you usually respond? You get angry. Or you just shut down and you stop talking. But how are we called? How are we called to worship God through this? How are we to respond to God? We're called to have a heart of worship. We're called to worship. And we see a heart of worship must trust in the sovereign will of God. Verse 3 says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. In Exodus we read that the children of Israel cried out to God. And it said God heard their cries. God is listening. Even though He might not respond in our timeline, He's listening. And we, could, we remember the promises of God, the providence of God. And nothing goes to waste in God's economy. We see that a heart of worship cries out in Christ-centered confidence. Verse 5 says, To you they cried out and, and were saved. and you they trusted and they were not put to shame. The fact is we have a high priest, Jesus, that can sympathize with us. He stood at the very friction point of the cross. And he stood there, and as he was on the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just moments before, a day before, sweating blood because of the anguish of the cross. And he felt the full agony of sin 
for you and for me, but he trusted the will of the Father. And because this, we read in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. i got to ask you, what do you need to boldly go to the throne of grace with today, right at this moment? Cry out to him. He's listening. Trust him. He's listening. We also see that a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection, the humiliation of the cross. When I came back from my first deployment, and even other deployments in the combat zone, it was interesting to see how supported I was by the public. It was really quite amazing. I would have people that would come up to me and they would want to shake my hand, or they would, I had one guy write me a check, and he just gave me money. I just was walking in my uniform, he's like, thanks for what you do, and handed me this check, and I was like, whoa. I had one lady hand me a bag of booze. She's like, here you go, have a fun night. Like, it's crazy. And I was just like, okay, awesome. Like, but yet there was those that were closest to me. I could even think of one particular person that was really close to me. That when I expressed my feelings about how I was feeling about the experiences, humiliated me, telling me what a monster I was to feel that way. And sometimes we feel this in our Christian walk. The, the complex intersection includes being vertically exalted in Christ, yet being horizontally humiliated because of Christ. Verse 6 says, But I am a worm and I am not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me ridicule me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's the worst when someone doesn't even say anything. They just shake their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Nice and sarcastic. Being ridiculed is one of the hardest things to deal with. And it's so difficult as Christians to have this message of hope, this relationship in Christ that has brought you from the ashes, and you feel it. The Holy Spirit just works in your heart and you feel something, you're a changed person, you're a new creation in Christ, and you want everyone to know about it, yet the closest people mock you for it. And as we stand in this intersection, we have a choice. We could allow those feelings of humiliation ignited by the enemy to dictate our worship, or we could trust, cling to Christ that much more. We see that a heart of worship trusts in the faithfulness of God. Verse 9, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Our Lord Jesus was ridiculed, taunted, and he died for the very ones that he came to save. Yet he trusted in the Father. He trusted in the faithfulness of the Father. And the fact was, is our Lord Jesus knew that humiliation preceded exaltation and that his glory would be restored. But for that to happen, he would have to bear the cross for the sake of the other, for our sake. And friends, he is calling us to follow him in this faithfulness. He is calling us to bear the reproach of the cross for the sake of the other. And I don't want to paint this with 
rainbows and puppy dogs and, and all of this. It's going to cost us. It will cost you. But our election is secure by the blood of Christ, by the seal of the Holy Spirit. We will endure. So I have to ask you, what is holding you back from bearing that reproach? Is it fear? Are you saying, I don't want to deal with those feelings, Brian. That's just too hard for me. Is it pride? I'm not going to do that. I find it, I find it very interesting. As I, I just, I love to observe people. You ever got people watching? It's hilarious. It's great. I love it. It's, I guess, a guilty pleasure that I'm exploring in the middle of everyone. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> the point is this. People will fly a flag for anything they believe. I see sports team flags all over the place. The other day, Eric and I were in Market Basket. The bagger at Market Basket wanted me to tell Erica, like, his political leanings. Like, just bag our groceries, man. Like, people are so bold about all this other stuff. But when it comes to Christ and being identified in Christ, we shrink back. We have fear. And we're surprised. We're like, well, I don't want to deal with that. But what did Jesus tell us? He said, a servant is not greater than his master. The cross is a, is a call to a radical emptying of yourself and being identified in his humiliation now. But later, later, we'll have full exaltation with Christ. We die with Christ, but we are raised to life in Christ and we are exalted in Christ. Today, I want to invite you to the baptism. We're going to celebrate baptism at the Beckman home today at 1230. People are taking that next step of faith, which represents this dying in Christ, but then this resurrection and exaltation in Christ. It's a visual representation of the gospel. So I invite you to join your family and be there. We also see that a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection in the deliverance of the cross. The complex intersection includes suffering the effects of sin and death, yet being fully delivered from sin and death. We have been fully delivered from sin and death, yet we suffer sin and death right now. Verse 11 says, Trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Verse 16 says, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This is not David's experience. This is where one of those times where David is standing on the tippy toes of things he does not understand, and he's looking out. And this is, the, this is Christ. He's speaking of Christ. And we know when we read this from a New Testament lens that this is exactly the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, being Christians, we are confronted with, with being delivered fully, but yet not delivered right now. I can remember I was at this truck stop in this place in Iraq, and it was, a, it was a bad time. And I was encircled. My platoon was encircled by, by, these, by, our, by our, the enemy forces. And it was weird because I had this moment where I thought, I thought well, I'm a Christian, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm eternally saved. I'm going to be with Christ if I die. And I'm coming face to face with my mortality. I don't know if that's ever happened with you. But if you do, it's a really serious conversation, and it's, it's absolutely crazy. But you go, and, and, and I'm like, well, if I die, I'm with Christ. 
but I'm scared. Why am I going through this? And I started to get angry, and I was surprised by my feelings. And many of us, when we suffer, we're surprised by suffering. Jesus knows he will be delivered by the Father, but this doesn't negate his suffering. Sometimes we like to think, we like to think, well, if I'm in Christ, if I'm a believer, then I shouldn't be complaining about suffering so much. Listen, suffering in this life is suffering, but God works through it all. We can cry out to God. This is the complex intersection of the cross. We suffer and we cry out to God and go, God, people are surrounding me. My bones are breaking. This is all happening. Everything is falling apart. Be with me. Some of you have been there. It's like you're having like a conversation with yourself and with God. It's all right. We've got to cry out to God. Jesus is doing it. As much as Jesus wanted deliverance from his suffering, he knew that the path the ultimate deliverance for you and for me was to be nailed to that cross. I want to tell you this. Listen to me. His suffering was not an accident, which means either is ours. And I know this is a controversial statement. Some of you might be sitting here going, Brian, you don't know what I'm suffering with, and I don't know what you're suffering with. But I know a Savior who does, and who can sympathize with you. And here's the thing. Suffering makes no sense outside of the cross. It makes no sense. Suffering is just suffering Suffering that's needless outside of the resurrection, the hope of the cross. And God takes that. He takes our suffering and somehow trans, transforms it for his glory. We see that a heart of worship trusts in the saving power of the cross. Verse 19 says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. Come quickly to help me, deliver me, rescue me, save me. We seek deliverance from so many powerless places and people. Just go on Facebook. Go on YouTube. Watch the news. Put our hope and our trust and we cry out to people and places and things that are ridiculous, that have no power, that are so impotent to help us. And sometimes we give people false hope. Let's just call it what it is. People come to us and we give them false hope. We have the hope that is within us, but we don't give them that hope for whatever reason. Listen, deliverance, rescue, and saving are only possible in this life and the life to come in Christ. We could cry out to God right now and pray, God, take this away. And God is powerful enough to do it. And if he doesn't do it in this life, he does it in the life eternal. We will have ultimate deliverance. We have ultimate deliverance in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Sin and death have entered in the world, and that's what we feel right now, and we are affected by it. Our whole bodies, our whole creation, everything, our relationships are affected by it. But Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son, stepped down from heaven. And he lived a perfect and righteous life, and he suffered. And he understands exactly how we feel. And he was nailed to this cross. He was nailed to the cross. And he died. But here's the thing, he was resurrected. He was resurrected and we put our faith and trust in him. We too are resurrected to new life. 
And we are fully delivered. And that's the good news of the gospel. Finally, we see a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection and the victory of the cross. One of the last operations that we did while my first deployment in Iraq was this, this operation where we had to, to go and take over some, some enemy territory. And within the first few hours of this operation, we'd, heard, we'd already taken over the land. We'd already taken over that, that position. Yet the operation continued on for two more months. But at that moment, we had already won. But yet we still had a lot of fighting to do. And that's where we find ourselves now in this complex intersection. It, it includes living in the victory of the now, but resting in the victory to come. And this changes when we fully embrace this, that we have victory now and we will be delivered even more and have victory and rest in that victory to come. This changes everything and how we see things. It changes our lives. It transforms our mere existence to this white-hop worship in Christ in our everyday. We see that a heart of worship is missional in our everyday. Verse 22 says, and this is where the, 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 the psalm takes a turn, where all this lament and then the psalmist David goes, but I'm going to praise, and we see verse 22, I will declare your name to my people, to those around me, in the assembly, to the greater people that you've put and have scope in, and I will praise you. Verse 30 says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. We see that living in the victory of the cross sees everything, everywhere, every person, every generation as, as an opportunity to gather worshipers for our Lord. Every situation where you're at, you're on mission to gather the worshipers for our Lord. We see that a, a heart of worship submits to the Lordship of Christ in our everyday Verse 28 says, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Living in the victory of the cross means living under a monarchy and true freedom. We live under a monarchy, King Jesus, and there's true freedom in that. But many of us are living in the bondage of the now. We're so in the bondage of all the stuff that we hear. Doesn't mean we don't take it in. Doesn't mean we don't think about it or synthesize it. But ultimately, we have victory in Christ, and he is our king, and he will physically rule the world. This isn't like this pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by thing. This is happening. We see that a heart of worship lives every day at the foot of the cross, at the foot of this cross. We read, he has done it. He has done it. When Jesus was on the cross, before he gave up the spirit, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And every time the hammer struck the nails that were driven through his hand or his feet, there was this loud proclamation that says, he has done it. He has done it. He has done it. No more alienation from God. He has done it. Everlasting life with God, he has done it. Restoring our human dignity, he has done it. Giving us purpose and identity, he has done it. Never abandoning us, he has done it. Forgiving us of all unrighteousness, he has done it. Loving us without measure, he has done it. And when we live at the foot of the cross, and we cast all of our burdens on the cross, we proclaim in our lives, he has done it. 
Thank you. I love the amen. You're spurring up my old Baptist roots. Thanks, Fred. Listen, war is complex. That's what I learned. It's complex. And life now is complex under the cross. This intersection we find ourselves with. And this time tomorrow, you're going to feel this tension. You're going to feel it. Something's going to happen, and you're going to feel this tension. So what are you going to do? I have to ask you, what do you need to crucify and cast at the foot of the cross? I know there's something. Is there failure in your life? Is there pride that you know gets in the way? Is there relational issues? What is it that is in the way? What do you need to just crucify and cast at the foot of the cross? In a few minutes, I want you to set this piece of paper aside. It says, he has done it. We're going to do something with this. Set it aside, and I'll explain later. But it's time to get real. It's time to cast everything at the foot of the cross. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. Lord Jesus, you, we stand in awe of what you've done. I pray that you would work in our hearts, that this would be a time of transparency, that this would be a time that we would stop with the facade and that we would just come at the foot of your cross and cast everything, cast everything, all our fear, all our burdens, all our pride, all of our worry, all of our failures. I pray we cast it at your foot of the cross, knowing that you could bear it, you have for that weight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.